Ready? Good afternoon. It's Dave Frankowski, and I'll be your moderator for today's class. And welcome to another lecture given by the Oceanside California class. This is a school and not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious, and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given unto our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year of 1958, and we hold classes in the United States and in various other countries. The Oceanside class was established in 1994. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you the Dean of the Oceanside class, Dr. Dennis Volpe, and the president, Dr. Carl Emler. Now in this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title for the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The correct name of our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The correct title of the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. And the correct name of the Holy Spirit manifest in or out of the physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles, and they are not names. And the Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike the titles of Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. It's a divine title because it's the title that our creator has chosen for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. And a minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, the Greek, nor the Latin languages have any letters or characters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in our own English language until some 1400 years after the death of the Messiah, which would make such names as Jesus and Jehovah impossible renderings for the true name of our Father and his Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Now Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, the limits and bounds of everything that exists. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. 
And we've drawn this cloud to extend all around the edges of this chart to show that everything on the chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in his pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being, that is, having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifest himself in a physical body and walk the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, who the whole world calls Jesus Christ. Now, there's only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So a simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what did they call the Savior when he walked the earth plane? And a further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface to the Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It's the divine pattern because it's Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he called Moses on top of Mount Sinai, and he showed him this threefold tabernacle pattern in a vision. Later on, Yahweh instructed Moses to build one in the wilderness, exactly like the one he had seen in his vision on the mount. The tabernacle pattern is a threefold pattern consisting of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and it operates according to the structure and the function of this threefold tabernacle pattern and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. This school has 10 primary constitutional objectives or aims and they are as follows. One, to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Two, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three, to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Four, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. Five, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained 
There is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua, the Messiah. And 10, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua, the Messiah, with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace, and our slogan is speak the truth. We'll begin this afternoon with a prayer by Dr. Derek Ordone from our New Orleans class. And we'll have a scripture read, which will be Ephesians, the second chapter. And that'll be read by Dr. Jerry Geller from our Oceanside class. Good evening, class. Let us bow our hearts and minds in a moment of prayer. Thank you, Yashua Nasaya, for providing life at the end of this age, a way out from all the darkness and ignorance. Thank you for being our substance to endure the trials and tribulations. Thank you for being in our hearts and in our minds to remind us what it is to be a Yashuan. We look unto you and we keep looking unto you forever, Father, until there's just no more physical, no more flesh. Thank you for the good news, Father, the good news, because we're just so surrounded by nothing but bad news. But I don't know, it's, it's nothing bad in you. It's nothing bad that you have done. Everything you do is for a purpose. And it's, and it's for us to see you and your attributes, Father, manifested mm -hmm. so we can trust in you and believe in you right. and, and have faith in you. Mm -hmm. With these prayers, in the name of Yahshua Messiah, let us all say hallelujah. 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 Um, good evening, class. I'll be reading tonight from the Holy Name Bible critically compared with ancient authorities revised by A.B. Trena of the Scripture Research Association in College Park, Maryland, Ephesians, the second chapter. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past she walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our deportment in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But Yahweh, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with the Messiah. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Yahshua the Messiah. That in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Yahshua the Messiah. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of Yahweh, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Yahshua the Messiah unto good works, which Yahweh hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past heathens in the flesh, who called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without the Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without Elohim in the world. But now, in Yahshua the Messiah, ye who formerly were far off are made hot nigh by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto Yahweh in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the sons and of the household of Yahweh, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Yahshua the Messiah himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple unto Elohim, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of Elohim through the Spirit. Ephesians, the second chapter. Thank you, Dr. Geller and Dr. Ordone. And our scripture readers this afternoon will be Dr. Deb Cometti and Dr. Sharon Welch from our Syracuse class. And we'll have a three-speaker format this afternoon, each speaker getting approximately 35 minutes. And our first speaker will be the Dean of our Lansing, Michigan class, Dr. Terry Welsh. Well, greetings. Uh, did I unmute? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, I'm very glad to be here with you, and I will be, uh, I will plan to be brief tonight, um, and uh, I just want to say that this teaching that joins us is the greatest gift other than <laughs> what it really is all about. It's the greatest gift that Yahweh has ever given man um, because it's really part of Yahshua himself that is causing our souls to be joined with his. And instead of just talking about it, let me just mention a couple of things from the scriptures. Uh, would you please get the third chapter of Exodus. And 
for the sake of time, well, no, start at the, the first verse, but then I'd like to proceed quickly down to the 13th verse. Exodus 3 and 1. Now Moses yeah. kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the desert and came to the mountain of Elohim, even to Horeb. And the angel of Yahweh appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, Elohim called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Okay, and now let me mention something. Uh, Yahweh Elohim is giving Moses a vision. And it's the first personal vision contact that Moses has ever experienced from the creator. And it's part of the creator's overall purpose. Uh, and he is going to actually show Moses something here that is so important and so sacred that it is necessary for us all to understand, uh, but it is so broadly overlooked and considered unimportant by almost the entire world. But this is one of three primary visionary experiences or visions that Yahweh Elohim is going to give Moses. This is the very first. And it's a, an introduction to the creator that Moses is getting. And so you can see this. Uh, if you go down to the 13th verse, I just want to proceed to get to the point here. And Moses said unto Elohim, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The Elohim of your fathers has sent me unto you. They shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Okay, and Moses has a good question here. Because the creator Yahweh Elohim is commissioning Moses to go to the children of Israel, which are in bondage in the land of Egypt, and to tell them that the Elohim of their fathers, the almighty, the all-powerful, the creator himself, basically, has appeared unto Moses. And Moses has a message for them. But of course, Moses says, when I do this, they're going to ask me, what is your name? And Moses, at this point, doesn't know the name. Okay, so he's asking the name of the creator. Please continue. And Elohim said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And Elohim said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Okay, very important. Yahweh Elohim, 
is the name of the creator. And he says, this is my name forever. And the way I am to be memorialized or remembered unto all generations. Now that name, Yahweh Elohim, uh, is so important because it is not just a label for the creator. It is his own personal uh, expression of who he is, of his own identity, of his own nature, of his own power. The uh, name Yahweh, uh, it basically means the one that exists and causes to exist. In other words, the, the verb to exist or to be is the root, the base of that name Yahweh. And Yahweh is the one that exists, and he is the one that causes everything to exist. And he says here that he is the Elohim of their fathers, which means almighty or all-powerful. And you will find out that uh, as he has revealed who he always was, that he is also Yahshua, which means that Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. So in reality, the one who exists and causes to exist is the almighty savior. That is implicit in the name of the creator, Yahweh, Elohim, Yahshua. Now that's the primary message that Moses received from the creator. He did not fully understand that message when he first received it, but Yahweh caused him to have various experiences uh, that illustrated, demonstrated, and made it so that Moses understood the power of the name Yahweh. And uh, even the 10 plagues that were poured out upon the land of Egypt were manifestations of the power of the name Yahweh. The very liberation or salvation of the children of Israel from 430 years of bondage in Egypt, that was a result of the power of the name Yahweh being exercised. And so, you know, even your physical life and your physical existence depends upon the name Yahweh. Uh, for example, uh, when we check life signs, vital signs, the two primary things that you look for is breathing and heartbeat, like mm -hmm. a pulse. And when you breathe, you inhale and you exhale. And uh, I could, by exaggerating it slightly, uh, you could actually hear the name Yahweh as I inhale and exhale. And if I am having real difficulty breathing, I'm going to call on the name Yahweh like this. <gasps> Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And when your heart beats, it has systole and diastole, which gives two distinct sounds as Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. And actually, if you use a stethoscope and you listen to the blood sounds flowing through your aorta out of your heart, and you listen to it correctly or in in one particular way, you can actually hear the blood speak the name Yahshua. It's Yahshua, 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 Yahshua. And you literally exist because of the name Yahweh as Yahshua. Mm -hmm. And every single thing in this universe exists because of that. Uh, Yahweh has those two distinct aspects. And every molecule, every particle every subatomic molecule vibrates and the vibration of those things is because of the power of the name Yahweh causing them to go back and forth, back and forth. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Literally our entire existence depends upon Yahweh and that name at every single moment, whether we are conscious of it or not. And Moses didn't fully understand that, but he just had received from Yahweh a tremendous gift of his name and would end up uh, being a uh, person through whom Yahweh would record some of the most important things that we could ever, ever know about the creator. Now, uh, after Yahweh Elohim brought the children of Israel up out of the land of Egypt, having given Moses this one primary vision, this one message about his identity, his name, then he brought Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, and he did it on two different occasions where he had Moses up there he, he brought him up there three times, but he had two primary occasions where he was up there for 40 days in 40 nights consecutively. In other words, uh, those 40 days and 40 nights uh, were on two different occasions. And Yahweh Elohim gave Moses very detailed vision and experience of himself and his nature. Uh, uh, well, if you'd go to Exodus, the 24th chapter, please. Mm -hmm. 24, and, uh, nine. nine, yes, please. Exodus 24, nine. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the Elohim of Israel. And there was under his feet as it By were. the way, I, I apologize. I, I, I think I've been very remiss here. I, I, I have a very difficult time. I can't see anything on my screen. Um, do we have any charts that are visible right now? 
Yeah, the Moses chart is up. It is up. Okay, thank you. Boy, I, I'm so non-techy, and I don't even see that, but thank you for letting me know. So on the Moses chart, um, if you look in the upper left area, you mm -hmm. will see in that cloud Yahweh Elohim appearing to Moses. Uh, just a second. Somebody's trying to help me out here. Okay. <laughs> hey, takes a young man in order to get this tech stuff taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. So anyway, yes. So you see uh, Moses up there in the cloud receiving this vision of Yahweh Elohim. And uh, I, I really don't want to take time to go into every single detail. But the main point here is that he is seeing a vision of Yahweh Elohim, the creator himself. And it says, panoramic vision of Elohim to Moses. Right. This is the creator who has uh, actually transformed in this vision into this threefold supreme spirit embodiment, this great heavenly anthropomorphic being. And Moses is being given uh, information, that's not adequate word, but uh, he's given divine knowledge of the creator using this uh, means of showing Moses himself. Now you'll see on that great Eloistic embodiment that there is the name Yahweh on top. Mm -hmm. There is Elohim there in the middle section and then Yahshua uh, toward the loins. So that's showing Yahweh, Elohim, and Yahshua, or the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit in one great supreme spirit embodiment. And Moses did not understand Yahweh Elohim fully at this point. But Yahweh Elohim gave Moses some things to compare with that would help in order to understand the creator. So right next to where you, you see Yahweh Elohim, you see this threefold tabernacle pattern. Above there, it says exterior, because there's more to the pattern than just the exterior. But this tabernacle pattern has three main areas, a most holy place, a holy place, and a court round about. And those three compartments are representation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or Yahweh, Elohim, Yahshua. And so the tabernacle is used as a way of expressing who the Creator himself actually is. Now, um, read a little bit further from where you're at, if you would, please. <laughs> Okay, I'll start at 10. And they yep. saw the Elohim of Israel, and there were under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand, 
Also, they saw Elohim and did eat and drink. Okay. Now, uh, go to the 16th verse. 16. And the glory of Yahweh abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. Now, that and glory this- of Yahweh is Yahweh Elohim, who is appearing right. here in the vision. And you see all of this occurring in the cloud, which represents the vision or represents eternity. Uh, Please continue. And the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of Yahweh was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, now that was one of the main points there. Moses was in this mount having this vision of Yahweh Elohim for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, uh, the next several chapters of Exodus describe some of the things that Moses saw while he was in that mount 40 days and 40 nights. The primary thing is this tabernacle pattern. And you could read about that starting in the next chapter, Exodus 25. But for time, I'm not going to have it read right now. Um, So uh, now, uh, Yahweh Elohim, actually gave Moses seven days, the first seven days of that vision, uh, showing Moses how he as Yahweh Elohim, uh, the creator, uh, made the entire creation, uh, the heavens and the earth. And that actually took seven solar days, including the Sabbath day or the day of rest. And that was seven days out of the 40 days and nights that Moses was up there receiving this vision from the creator. And then the remaining number of days would be 33 days. If you had 40 total, seven was devoted to Yahweh Elohim creating the creation. That leaves 33. And what did Moses see during those 33 days? And that is this threefold tabernacle pattern. And Yahweh Elohim indelibly imprinted in Moses' mind during this vision all the details of that tabernacle pattern so that Moses could direct the construction of a physical tabernacle exactly like the pattern that he saw in the mountain. And this tabernacle pattern will be the second major thing that Yahweh Elohim is going to uh, show about himself. The first was his name. The second is his pattern, which shows his actual makeup. And uh, I, I guess I'll have you read enough scripture to know that what I'm saying is in the Bible. Uh, if you would get Exodus 25, uh, verse 8, and then I think you can, it'd be verse 8 and 9, possibly, then go down to verse 40. 
Exodus 25 and 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Great. In 40th verse. In verse 40. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was shown thee in the mount. Right. And again, that verifies that that's where the pattern for the tabernacle was shown to Moses. It was in Mount Sinai, which in, you just read that he was up there with the creator 40 days and 40 nights. Now, believe it or not, this tabernacle and the priest and the services that the priest did in the tabernacle is written about more in the Bible than any other uh, any other thing that there is except for that which it represents, who is Yahshua himself. And there are over 50 chapters, five zero chapters of the Bible that are devoted to the tabernacle pattern and the services that were involved in it with the priesthood. And those things are representing the spiritual things of Yahweh Elohim. In other words, they are him manifested in a way that we can understand the creator. Now, the purpose of the tabernacle was not actually to have somebody have a physical place to worship the creator. It was really to, well, it wasn't intended for that as a permanent thing. I sh should be very clear. But it was intended to have a permanent record of that tabernacle pattern so that those things could then tell us about Yahshua and spiritual things. Um, now I want to move on to the third primary vision that Moses had on Mount Sinai. Um, and if you would go to Exodus 30, well, just go to 34, verse 1. Exodus 34 and 1. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou didst break. And okay. be ready in the morning. And come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Okay, now this is going to be the third time that Moses is going to go to the top of Mount Sinai. And it is going to be the second time that Moses will be up there for an entire 40 days and 40 nights. Um, I don't happen to recall what verse says that if you find it, if you know where it is right now. Please go ahead and read it. But it's there in that 34th chapter. It says Moses was up there with Yahweh Elohim 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 28 of 34. 34, 28. Thank you so much. Verse 28. And he was there with Yahweh 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments. Okay. 
All right. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot more that occurred up there 40 days and 40 nights than what we have read about here. But I want you to think about this. 40 days and 40 nights. Okay. How many hours are there in a day? And if you include the day and the night, 24 hours. And if you're up there for 40 days and 40 nights, how many hours is that? 40 times 24 is 960. Now, just as a note, keep that number in mind. And well, <laughs> Let, let's go over and look on the right side of the Moses chart toward the top and you will see where it shows that the Apostle John was uh, receiving the same vision of Yahweh Elohim that Moses saw and if you notice there it says panoramic vision of Elohim to John and what year? A.D. 96. And that 96 is uh, there because, of, well, it's the same number in principle as the 960 hours that we were just talking about with Moses. So one correlates with the other. And, uh, well, well, I don't want to get into all kinds of detail, but this is in the tabernacle pattern. Uh, it, anyway, I, I, I'm not going to take time to go into all the details. Others can do this. I want you to be aware that everything that we need to know about the creator is what he has shown in these wonderful visions and these visions uh, are the visions that Yahweh Elohim gave to Moses the other prophets and apostles as they are recorded in the Bible those things that are in the Bible that are a result of those visions they are sufficient for proof witness and evidence of everything that we need to know in order to have an absolute union with our creator Yahweh Elohim. But we would never figure out each of the important things. They are simply things that were revealed in these visions and were taught. Now, Dr. Kinley, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in 1931 had the same panoramic divine vision and revelation that Moses and John are seen as having here. And Dr. Kinley saw the entire purpose of Yahweh from beginning to ending. And that encompassed the visions that Moses and John are seen as having here. And what Yahweh had Dr. Kinley do with the vision was to teach his people, teach Yahshua's people, his will and his way. And we are so blessed to have 
record of how these things are taught. And it, it is so vitally important that what we do is continue to reinforce the teaching of the same exact vision and revelation. And I, I not, uh, not to pontificate about what he has done for me as an individual. Uh, and it's, it's fine to have personal testimony, uh, which is good, but the things that Yahweh Elohim have given in order for us to help others to actually find and know Yahweh as he really is and actually exist, those things are the things that are in the visions and in the records. Uh, and it's just vitally important that we just focus on those things. So now, uh, to, to, to make the last point about what was seen in this third experience that Moses had, um, he saw Yahweh Elohim actually walk on down through time, through humankind. In other words, he saw the creative spirit operating in humankind or mankind from Adam all the way on down to the one that is called Yahshua, the Messiah. Never Five minutes, Dr. Welsh. Thank you, sir. Uh, and, and, and Yahshua is the 63rd generation from Yahweh Elohim. Now, uh, that, oh boy, I got to go back to give you the correlation quickly. AD 96 was 63 years from the resurrection of Yahshua the Messiah. And so that 63 years uh, from the resurrection of Yahshua is uh, when he appeared there or revealed himself to the Apostle John. Uh, so he manifested and revealed himself after those 63 years. Why? Because that is a reflection in the present kingdom age that he revealed or manifested himself in the flesh 63 generations from that first generator, Yahweh Elohim. And uh, then in the tabernacle, uh, Yahweh Elohim in the most holy place. Oh boy. I hope you can see in the tabernacle, in the most holy place, Yahweh Elohim said he would reveal himself. He would appear between the wings of the cherubim above the mercy seat upon the ark in the most holy place. And that was after what you would consider to be 63 flicks of blood. And so Yahweh Elohim is going to appear in the cloud there after 63, just as he did uh, after 63 generations manifest in the flesh, just as he appeared in that revelation to John after 63 years from his resurrection. I know that's a rushed 
job of the correlations. I want you to see that these visions that Yahweh Elohim has given are absolutely the key to understanding him if we will simply learn and teach and reinforce these things. Everything that we need to know and understand and to help others be one with our creator. Uh, everything that's needed is already given to us this way. Uh, I hope that's some encouragement and I hope it's encouragement for you. Praise Yahshua, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Welsh. And our next speaker will be the Dean of our Green Bay, Wisconsin class, Dr. Andy Verkaterin. I hope everyone can hear me. Yes. I must say I thoroughly enjoyed everything that um, Terry Welch had to say. And it just, to me, reminded me how beautiful this teaching is that we are able to be partakers of. Now he labored to show the importance of the name Yahweh and his title Elohim and the name of Yahshua. And he showed how um, these charts are set up as a result of this divine vision and revelation. And he explained how Moses went up on the top of Mount Sinai the first time and you can read about that next to the 19th chapter. That was a very short trip. Exodus, the 24th chapter is when he went up the second time that Terry was talking about. And there he was up 40 days and 40 nights. And he was shown a vision of Yahweh Elohim. <clears throat> and he saw the seven days of creation and the 33 days and the explanation of the details of this tabernacle pattern that they were told to build in the wilderness. And then Moses was down the mountain for another 40 days. It just so happens things run by the pattern, blood, water, spirit, 40. And what do I mean by that is when he went up on the mountain the second time, he read the book of the covenant to the people and he sprinkled blood on them. And then they were told to clean up for three days. So you have blood and water. Um, and then uh Spirit of Yahweh is the one I actually invited up on top of Mount Sinai, blood, water, spirit. And you read in the end of Exodus 24 chapter, he was up there for 40 days. Now, if you went to your tabernacle pattern, you're going to see that um, on the altar, you have an offering of blood. There was a sacrifice that had to be offered up. And this sacrifice was innocent uh, animal was shed to atone for a man or a, a man's sins. And that sacrifice had to be washed in the laver or water. And you have the horn of, or a cup of holy anointing oil that was poured over the priest's head to symbolize uh, receiving the spirit. And then the fourth step in the tabernacle, first step is the gate, second step is the altar. Third step is the laver. The fourth step is the door or that first veil. I've seen it both ways. The fifth step is the holy place. The sixth step is the second veil, which is the veil between the holy place and the most holy place. 
And the seventh step of the tabernacle is the most holy place. Now you have that blood on the altar, the water and the spear with the horn. And you come to the door or four, the founder would say, and you want a witness of it. I'm not going to get it, but it's in the blood water. Uh, it's in the pamphlet where Doc Kinley talks about how many days Adam was in the Garden of Eden, according to Moses' vision. And in that particular pamphlet, he says for the fourth step, it's going to be 440, 400 or something. And then he says for the fifth step, it's going to be 550 and so on. But he never really gets into all the details of those things. But that pattern will overturn and overturn and overturn like that. Now, um, he sprinkled blood on the people on the second trip. They were told to clean up for three days and be ready against the third day. And then he went up to see uh, the spirit of Yahweh was on top of the mountain. And then he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, when they came down from the mountain, there was a war in the camp. And there were 3,000 slain. So there's a, definitely a shedding of blood. And then they were told to drink of the calf uh, that they had worshipped in place. Uh, the gold with the water is water. And then uh, the spirit of Yahweh had commanded this. And Moses was on the bottom of the mountain for 40 days as well. Before he went up the third time, which uh, he was talking about. In Exodus, the 34th chapter, he went up there for another 40 days explaining the details of the rerun of the creation and then the genealogies of man uh, to bring Moses up to date. And then he was allowed to see the hind parts and down through time up to Yash and Messiah. I thought he did a real beautiful job explaining that. And, you know, some people might think, well, what's the significance of all, all this? It's, the point is, there is really, truly a divine pattern in operation. Now, if we pull up the tabernacle pattern, I'm just going to work with a few things in the tabernacle, just to make some points there. Uh, I'll wait for the tabernacle chart to come up. Now, on the tabernacle chart, like I already said, the first step was the gate. Second step was the altar, which is in the court roundabout on the bottom there. Then you had the labor, the third step, and the fourth step is the door. Now, in the holy place is the fifth step. So when you look at things in the holy place, you know, the, the incense, for example, had four ingredients. And if you look at the oil of the lamp, there was five ingredients. Now, if you look at the pillars on the first veil, which is the division between the holy place and the court roundabout, there was five pillars. And if you went to the uh, veil between the court, uh, holy place and the most holy place, there was four pillars. So you have the principles of four and the principles of fives overturning and overturning in this particular area. You also have this area is 15 by 30. And if you take 15, uh, times 30, you come up with 450. So you have 400 represented. You also have 50 represented with 450 because those are just principles. Now, when you come to the veil, which is the second veil, which is the veil between the holy place and the most holy place is referred to as the second veil. 
And the high priest could not go into there at all times. He could only go in there on October 10th on the Day of Atonement. Now, this veil is referred to as the veil of the flesh or the sixth step. So when you look at the tabernacle, the high priest had to go up through the veil for his own sins and his family first. He went up on the right side of the veil. Then he went around the Ark of the Covenant, and he had to come down through the veil on the left side. So he would go through that veil two times, up and down, for himself. Then he had on the uh, Day of Atonement, he had to um, go back out in the outer court, and they would offer up a, a, a goat. They had two goats. One was the scapegoat, and one was going to be the goat that was going to be for the atonement of the people. The first trip, he went up there with the blood of a bullock. So on the second trip, he goes up there now with the blood of that goat, and he goes up through the veil again on the right side, goes around the Ark of Covenant, comes back down through the left side. So now he went through that veil two times on the first trip, up and down, and he went down the veil another two times on the second trip. Now, on the third trip, he puts on the garments of beauty and glory, and he takes the combined, combined blood of the two animals, and he goes through the veil again on the right side, goes around the Ark of the Covenant, comes back down on the left side. So, in other words, on the Day of Atonement, that high priest went through that veil up and down two times each trip, or a total of six times on that veil, which is the sixth step of the veil of the flesh. Now, when he's in the most holy place, he has to sprinkle blood. And he sprinkles blood eastward how many times? Well, the seventh step is the most holy place. So he has to sprinkle blood seven times eastward. Now, he does that every time he goes up there. Now, so you have the principle of the pattern being overlaid by numbers, by structures, by functions, by blood, by water, by spirit, by deaths, by burials, by resurrections. There's this principle after principle overturning and overturning on this tabernacle, which is just amazing that this information um, was made available as a result of our founder having a divine vision and revelation from the creator in the year 1931. Now, he never expected anyone to just accept it because he said it. He said, you make me prove it until you're satisfied. And the reason I'm sitting in here 40 some years later is because I'm definitely satisfied and I'm willing to bet a dollar to anyone's donut that Terry Welch is sitting in these classes because he's been satisfied as well. And he's been coming down here longer than me. Now, now if we take this tabernacle and we refer to it as a pattern, you can go back to the time of, uh, we can go to the elementary chart, we can go to the time of Noah. And now this time of Noah, is happening before the tabernacle is being revealed to Moses. So in other words, what I'm trying to show you is that the creation and the Bible and all these things are going by the pattern before the tabernacle or the pattern is even revealed to Moses. Now, if you look at the time of Noah and the flood, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and he was basically warning the people of the calamity or doom that was going to be uh, put on mankind because the days of man's flesh, according to Noah's vision, were going to be 120 years. 
Yahweh was going to destroy um, the world or the earth with a flood. Now, Noah was shown this in the vision, and this stuff was also revealed to Noah, uh, what was required uh, for this. So he had that, he would warn the people, and if you read in Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter, that there's a story that talks about a watchman in a tower, and a watchman that's set up in a tower, his job is to warn the land if any danger comes. So if any danger is coming to the land or the to the area, the watchman is supposed to sound trumpets or warn the people so they can prepare uh, for the situation. Now, if the, if the watchman doesn't warn the people, then the blood of the people is on his head. But if he does warn the people, now he's placing the blood or responsibility on the people's head. So Noah being a preacher of righteousness is definitely uh, placing the blood or taking the blood and sprinkling on the people by his warning. Now he's warning the people about this great flood or this water that's going to be the situation. And then you have the spirit of Yahweh that sealed up that ark. And now it rained. The next thing on the pattern would be 40. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. So the next thing that happens is you're going to read in, in, in Genesis, uh, you're going to see that the fountains of the water of the sea were broken up on the second month, the 17th day. And, and then the waters, when that's when the fountains of the deep broke up. And then the waters abated, you're going to read also that it was on the seventh month, the 17th day. So it's the waters broke up on the second month, the 17th day, and the waters were abated on the seventh month, the 17th day. You're going to also see in the Bible that it was a period of 150 days, or if you take the calendar of five months, so 150 divided by five shows forth that there's a 30-day calendar in effect at this time. Or can I say there was blood, water, spirit, rain for 40 days, and the waters, fountains broke up, and five months later, they were abated. So there's your five. You're going to also read that Moses, or not Moses, um, Noah was 600 years old when the flood came because uh, there's scriptures that talk about how old he was when he received the vision and also how old he was when he had children. And you also see that he was 600 years old when the flood came. Now, when the waters were abated and then they were sticking, uh, um, uh, you're going to the most holy place, uh, Noah out of the window uh, let, bore, let forth some birds. Now, if you read about what kind of creatures were brought on the ark, the animals were brought by twos, except for the clean animals and the fowl of the air. So of the birds would have been by sevens and by regular animals, unless it was a clean animal, would have been by twos, otherwise it had been by sevens. Now, the, the birds the raven and the dove, and you're going to read that. The raven didn't come back, and they were let out of the, of the window. Now, the ark had three areas. It had a lower deck, middle deck, and upper deck. So in the most holy place, just like you had the seven represented, you have that creature, the bird, which was by sevens. And also, if you don't like that one, that dove, when it came back, was held for another seven days, and then it was let go again. And then again, it was seven days. Now, why seven days? because it's uh, going by the pattern 
of blood, water, spirit, 40, 50, six, six something, seven. It's, it's just going to overturn and overturn like that. And it just so happens that uh, um, that was going on before um, the tabernacle was revealed to Moses. Now, for sake of time, now, I'm not saying I understand the details of every story, but there's enough available to see that there's actually something to the principles of this uh, thing that the details are just staggering. Now, if you went to the time when the Messiah, the Messiah was offered up on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning. Now, why was it nine o'clock in the morning? Because on the uh, uh, every day, there had to be a lamb offered up at the tabernacle at nine o'clock in the morning for the morning sacrifice. And then there was a prayer at noon. And then also a lamb was offered up at uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, which would have been the ninth hour according to the Hebrew calendar. So Yash was put on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning, and then it gets dark at noon or the sixth hour. And then he actually gives up the ghost the ninth hour or at three o'clock in the afternoon, just the same time he's put on the cross as the lamb. He also, also gave up the ghost representing the lamb that was offered up at three o'clock in the afternoon. And then when it got dark, obviously is our prayer and uh, that type of stuff was going on as well. So you have definitely the blood of Yahshua on the cross. And then when they pierced Yahshua in the side, out came blood and water. So you have principle of blood and water. And then Yahshua gave up the ghost or the spirit. Now, when he resurrected uh, uh, the third day, he resurrected. And you read in Acts, the first chapter, he was seen a man for 40 days. So he, he, he was seen for 40 days. He appeared to his various disciples 11 different times because there was 11 disciples. Judas um, um, ended up betraying him and uh, killed himself. So he appeared to his 11 um, disciples those 40 days and then when the day of Pentecost has come in the second chapter of Acts Pentecost means five of 50 so 50 days later the outpouring of the Holy Spirit now we know when Yahshua resurrected from the tomb he rent the veils in the uh, uh, temple were rent showing forth that Yahshua now has penetrated the veil of flesh, um, you know, through the uh, being a resurrecting, a quickening spirit and being able to go back and uh, pick up all those souls that slept from the dust of the earth from Adam all the way down to him to where he is today. Now, you also have uh, Yahshua's, we're dealing with Yahshua's temple, the temple, because he said uh, when he was question, you tear this temple down in three days, I'll rear it up again. And they were wondering, well, how are you going to raise this temple? It took so many years to build it. So how are you going to raise it in uh, three days? What he was talking about was the temple of his body. So when he resurrected a quickening spirit, uh, when you went through that veil after the Pentecost or the 40 days seen, Pentecost 50, went through that veil. Now, seven years later, just like the dove was taken out every seven days, that Holy Spirit is poured out on to the Jew first and seven years later to the temple. Now, why seven? Because it took seven years in the prophets for that temple to be constructed. And Yahshua is referring to the temple of his body. So you have a principle, uh, some examples in the stories 
how this pattern overturns and overturns. And this pattern is really, really something special. But the thing that I wanted to drive in on is a couple of points on what this teaching can do for you. Now, if you look at the man, for example, the makeup of man, he has a head cavity, a chest cavity, abdominal cavity, but he's also made up of spirit, soul, and body. And we can get that in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. I want to get that, please. First Thessalonians 5 and 23. And the very Elohim of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, Elohim, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our master, Yahshua, the Messiah. So the makeup of a man is spirit, representing the most holy place, soul, which is representing the holy place, and he has a body, which would be the type of the quote roundabout, or he is spirit, soul, and body. And one of the brethren I had heard a week or two ago had questioned, she understood about the spirit of Yahweh, because if you look at the green chart here, that's right there, you see the creator image by his creation, and you have the word spirit up there. And spirit is the substance, the source, the law of eternity, it's the limits and bounds of everything that exists. Now, man has a soul and he has a body. So it's easy to see the spirit part and the body part so much, but sometimes people scratch their head as far as what is the soul. Now, obviously the soul is a, your inner man, your innermost part of, of who you are. For example, what I mean by that is when you go to a funeral and you have a friend or a loved one that had passed, and you go there, let's say the person's name was Joe, and you go to the funeral home and you see Joe laying in a casket and you say Joe is gone. Well, Joe's right there laying in the casket. What you're recognizing that is gone was his inner man, his soul, the part of him that you laughed with and cried with and joked around with or fished with or hunted with or or, you know, lived your life with that, had an intellectual capacity with, and so, so on and so on. So your soul is the part of the man that can reason or think. Now, somebody might say, well, I don't know, you're kind of making that up and, you know, coming up with your own ideas. The thing is, I don't know if Gail Josephson is on. I think she is. But if she could do a favor for me and pull up, uh, a pamphlet that she has, and she can confirm she has it. It's called Soul Quotes. And if people want to know where you can get this, you can get it on the Lansing website. I know that it is on the Lansing website because this is something I know Terry is familiar with as well, because the first time it was shown to me, I know that the Dean before me, David Wilkett, had put this together to go to a Deans and Presidents meeting that was going on I think it was Cincinnati, if I'm not mistaken. But this particular pamphlet, Terry Welch got into uh, at that place. Now, did Gail, uh, is she able to respond whether or not she has this pamphlet? Yep, I'm here, Andy, I got it. Do you have that pamphlet? Yes. Now, this pamphlet is soul quotes. It's broken down into different categories. The first category is spirit, soul, and body, the identity, composition and a relationship. So in other words, 
It's places in the transcripts, uh, places in the textbook where Doc Kinley talks about what the spirit, soul, and body is by identity and composition and relationship. And then there's other categories. Men's soul can be lost or destroyed. And then there's places you can go to find that. Men's souls can be saved. Places you can go to find that. Men's souls can be rescued, raised, healed, regenerated, or converted. And there's many places you can go to find that. And there's three other ones that things were being said at the time, and there was no references found for those things. But I don't want to get into those things. I want to get into a couple of things where Doc Kinley talks about the soul. Um, let read number four for me. Say where you're reading it from and then read, read it, please, Gail. Yep, number four is the white transcript, um, number three, and it's on page four, the white transcript book. Now I'll take and, and let's say analyze this man. I'm using the cloud as universal substance. Then this man has a soul, the comprehensive part of you, the conscience. He has a body, is that right? And spirit functions through. So he's spirit, soul, and body. He's made in the likeness and image of the Godhead, is that right? Now remember I said spirit. God is spirit, that's the God part of you. His soul, that's the conscious part of it. And body, and it's manifested in there so you can see it. He's made in the likeness and image of Elohim. Yep, and there's a couple other places where Doc Kinley says something similar to that. So, so far, we're seeing that your soul, and this is coming straight from the founder who had the divine vision and revelation from the creator. He is telling you uh, some attributes or definitions of what your soul is. It's the conscious part of you. It's the comprehensive part of you. Now read number four for me, please. Or not four, number five. Okay, number five is from the white transcript book. Also, um, the third one, and this is on page five, Dr. Kinley. Yeah, uh, do you want me to read, read God? It's written as God or- Read it as God, please. Just exactly God, the way he says it. Okay, God told him not to touch of that. And he'd done what God told him not to do. Now, Paul put it this way, by one's, one man's disobedience, death was passed upon all. Now that, no sooner he touched it, he died. Wait, no sooner he touched it, his conscience is condemned. Now, Ezekiel, Isaiah, are you listening? Said, the soul that sinneth, he shall die. Are you listening? Every sin, so says Paul, that a man commits is without the body. The body is under the supervision and influence of the mind. Is that right? Man, how about his soul, Doc? Dr. Kinley, how's that, man? What about his soul? What's the difference between a mind and soul? Dr. Kinley, the difference between a mind and a soul, they are one and the same. Now, I didn't say spirit and mind were the same thing. Man, yeah, you did, Dr. Kinley. No, I didn't say that. Spirit is so far above mind. And then there's a space, I don't know what he said, that part, that Thing is almost incomprehensible because now if you notice if you look most all attitudes and dispositions Paul said when I would do good then evil was present 
And the good thing that he really would do that was the very thing that he didn't do. Ain't that right? Now I'm, I'm showing you this. Now God is spirit. Now I say that God is a man with spirit. That's the standard of righteousness and it never changes. The man's mind is subject to change. Mind is subject to change, but spirit isn't. Well, that's good there. I want to get one more because there are probably about 15 of them that we put together in this particular thing. And obviously I know there's more. Get number 34 for me, please. Okay. 34 is from the black transcript book. B5, oh, F-A-L dot E-R-O dot page three. Um, this physical body or this material body, which you have, it come from spirit. Now that's just one part of it. Now there's two other parts, your intellectual ca capacities, your knowledge and your wisdom, your understanding, your disposition, your attributes, your conduct, your behavior, your attitude, your, dispos your disposition forms your soul. So, so far we're getting definitions by the founder to try to help you understand something that's abstract, your soul. You can't draw a picture of your soul because you don't even know what color to make it or how big it should be. It's abstract, just like spirit is extremely abstract. But you know that when you're dealing with the comprehensive part of a man, his conscious, his mind, his intellectual capacity, your knowledge, your wisdom, your understanding, disposition, attributes, conduct, behavior, attitude, your dispensation, that is what you miss about your friend or relative Joe when they pass. Now, the thing about a man, and now we could get into more, there's obviously a lot of more beautiful ones on, and I highly recommend people pull soul quotes off the Lansing site and read them for yourself. But you can see how this gospel, by the preaching of the gospel, can affect your mind or your intellectual capacity, your knowledge, your wisdom. It can affect your understanding. Now, if we got uh, Psalms 19, chapter, verse 7. Let's get Psalms 19 and 7, please. Psalms 19 and 7. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sharon. I got the wrong chapter. Psalms 19 and 7. The law of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. So now when we're talking about the law of Yahweh's perfect converting your soul, and we know your soul is your comprehensive part. It's your conscience. It's your mind. It's your intellectual capacity. It's your knowledge, your wisdom, understanding. It's your attributes, disposition, your behavior, your attitude, all that stuff. And the law of Yahweh's perfect converting that or changing that. Now, what law is he talking about? You can go to Romans 8, 1 and 2, please. All I'm trying to get you to see is the results of this teaching that we're talking about, the names and the pattern and the law and prophets and the covenants and all these various topics. 
they're causing your mind or soul to be elevated by the teacher, which is the Holy Spirit, to a higher plane of thinking so it can become in harmony with the soul or mind of Yahweh. Now go ahead and get what I called for in Romans 8 and 1 and 2, please. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in the Messiah, Yahshua, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in the Messiah, Yahshua, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So the law that's perfect and foreign to converting the soul is that law of spirit of life, which is in Yahshua. That is the law that is quickening your soul to be made alive or to be able to comprehend the things about Yahweh so that you can be conscious of that and that your mind could be at one with that. And we become like, we're not the mind of Yahweh because if you were the mind of Yahweh in some areas that I have read, you just would know everything and you wouldn't need to ask any questions. But we become like-minded and of that same mind but not the mind, because Yahshua is the only head. You'll never be the head, but you can have the head in you, and you can become one mind, like-minded and become in harmony with the Father or with Yahshua, but you are not the mind. Uh, and there's some, uh, I know there's a transcript that talks about what Doc Kinley was talking about in that some detail. But anyway, but you can Five see minutes, how... Dr. Five minutes, Pardon? Dr. Ricardo. Okay, thank you. So you can see how the foolishness of preaching can have an effect. And the very first aim of the school is to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Now, why would that be our first aim? Because we're trying to elevate your soul or mind to know your creator. Now, when you go John 17 and 3, and we get this scripture all the time, and it says, this is life eternal that you know thee, the only true Yahweh and Yahshua Messiah whom thou hast sent. So your eternal life is that you know him or that your soul become, can become conscious of your creator. Can your, 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 your understanding and dispensation can change as a result of you knowing your creator. And like the holy name would say, uh, this is life eternal that thou might know that thou art the only true Elohim and Yahshua Messiah. Either way, it's, it's all predicated on you knowing. Now, back in the law, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We already got that example. So he preached to men's souls, warning them of the dangers. You have the principle of the preaching had a result and could allow a man to be saved if they would heed the warning of the preaching of the gospel. Now, we also get in 2 Thessalonians, uh, uh, the first chapter. Let's get Second Thessalonians, the first chapter, verse five through eight, please. Second Thessalonians one and five, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of Elohim, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of Elohim, for which you also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with Elohim to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When Yahshua the Messiah shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 
and flaming fire taken vengeance on them that know not Yahweh and that obey not the gospel of Yahshua the Messiah. So when you're dealing with the ability to know your creator, we're talking about your soul. We're not talking about your body and we're not talking about the spirit part. We're talking about your soul can be elevated to a higher plane of thinking to know your creator so that he doesn't take flame and vengeance on them that know him in life eternal is that you know him and and the knowledge the per the, it can convert your soul now there are the priest's job was to teach the people under the law so our job is through the foolishness of preaching to hopefully say something that would um uh help uh, uh somebody's understanding now in the few minutes i have i'm gonna have gail read two more excerpts for me because that's all the time i'm gonna have of Gail's on, I want you to read number one on the soul quotes. Yep, I'm here. Um, it's taken from the white transcript book, um, number two, and it's on page 10. Let's clear the slate. Let's clear the slate and depend on God for success in this venture here in LA and in Hollywood. Let's hope that some souls somewhere will see the light. We want that your soul, your mind. Your, we want you to see the light. Read. Okay. That as the Apostle Paul said, that I might find words of speech and that I might speak as I ought. That I, that I might find words and speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit that some soul out there might comprehend, some who might understand. So our desire by the preaching of the gospel to show these beautiful witnesses is our hope is that you see something and that you comprehend it and that you understand it. Now read for me um, um, the 27. Okay, 27. That's from the gray and, book. Yeah, Number we'll do 27 and 33 and that's it. Okay, and this is on 30, um, 36, page one. Now, what we try to do in this class is we try to help people. Help Our first aim is to help you find and know you. Read. Help save their souls. Oh. Definitely, they have been deceived. And they really don't know and understand what the purpose of Yahweh is. And it is incumbent upon us that do know to get up here and tell you the truth just like it is. It's tough. It's hard. And then the last one I'll read is 33. The Black Transcript Book, page two. This gospel has got to be preached in all this age or all the world. Now it's preached for a witness and preached to deliver and to save your soul. Now we only read a handful and there's a lot of them. There's like 60, 70, some of them. And it really gets into a lot of details. But I hope and pray that if there's any questions you have about what your soul is, it's your inner man. It's that part of you that can think and comprehend. And we just hope and pray that Yahshua elevates your mind or soul to a higher plane of thinking through the Holy Spirit, that you can understand and see these things and appreciate them as much as we do. And I hope you got something out of it. Uh, thank you for the time. Thank you, Dr. Verkaterin. And our third speaker will be the Dean of our Syracuse class, Dr. Patrick Trevison.
Good evening, everybody. Evening. I, uh, I'm going to carry on where the first couple speakers left off. I thought that they did a very, very nice job. And there's been an awful lot brought out. You, nobody can possibly cover everything, but I will try to take the baton and carry on. Um, I think the first thing I wanna do is I wanna read a couple of sentences from an article from Time Magazine. And uh, it's from the November 27th issue. December 27th, I should say, uh, to the to January the 3rd. And uh, they're picking their time person of the year and their entertainer of the year and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it gets to the second segment in here and it talks about their heroes of the year. And it says the miracle workers. And it says in giving the world a weapon against COVID-19, these scientists built a defense against challenges yet to come. And there are four of them. And their names are in this article and you can Google this article and you can get it for yourselves to read. I'm only gonna read a few sentences for the sake of time. Now, on the first page, it talks about a virus. And it says a virus being just a bundle of genetic material wrapped in a bundle of proteins. That's what a, that's what a virus is. It's a bundle of genetic material wrapped in protein needs the machinery of a living thing to produce. The reason is it has no life of its own. So it needs a living thing or a host to reproduce. It's a perfect example in the creation of the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity has no life of his own. He has to rely on the, the life from the mystery of righteousness. He has, he has no truth of his own. He's a liar and the father of it. That's in John 8.44. He can only take the truth, which is what Yahshua says, and twist it, and it becomes a lie. That's all he can do. It's like the moon. The moon has no light of its own, although it seems like it does when you look at it up in the sky. 
but it is only reflecting the light of the sun. The sun is the source of light physically, just as the spiritual sun is the source of all spiritual light. So we're going to continue with this. He needs a living thing to reproduce, which is a cell in your body. It's the dark caverns of bodies that it continues to shift shape, finding new ways to spread and thrive. Or it can change, it can mutate. And when it goes into a cell, it replicates itself so that eventually the cell dies and then it goes to the next cell and begins the process all over again. This is how cancer operates. This is how COVID-19 operates. This is how this virus operates. And it's a perfect, perfect witness in the creation for the mystery of iniquity. Only as the virus emerges from the shadows of these favored havens does it confront its most formidable, formidable foe, the scientists quietly awaiting it. Their medium was light. The thing they used to combat the virus, these four scientists, was light. And the brightness of scientific truth, which they painstakingly pursued in brilliantly lit research labs and clean rooms scrubbed of airborne particles and produced brilliant results. And later in the article, it talked about by exposing the inner workings of how viruses survive and thrive is what made COVID-19 vaccines possible. So the inner workings of the virus had to be made manifest just as the mystery of iniquity has to be revealed to us. It has to be revealed to us. Now, Greg, if you could get the... Uh, the chart up. Which chart? Uh, the covenants. I'm sorry, I'm having a brain. There, there you go. <laughs> now, on the left, you have the old covenant, which your speakers talked about. And it's showing you the Old Testament, the carnal mind, natural mind, physical, earthly, temporary, these ordinances. 
And this was the covenant that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And it could not make him perfect as pertaining to the conscience. That's in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Even the high priest, it could not make, we should get the reference. Hebrews 9 and 9 and 10, I think I want. Hebrews 9 and 9, which was a figure for the time then present. Which was a figure for the time then present. Now, this is a figure. The, the previous verses are talking about the tabernacle, which Terry was talking about, and that this was a figure for the time then present. Okay? But now, Paul is writing after Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which Andy was talking about, that very thing, which is going to convert the soul. Read, please, Dan. In which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So the could... one who was doing the service, the high priest, it didn't even take the condemnation away from his con conscience. You couldn't expect it to be taken away from the people's conscience. That old way of worship could not make their conscience clear. It could not make their soul clear. It could not make them clean. It could not make them whole. It could not make them mature. Is there more, Deb? Uh, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So it stood only in physical things physical things, physical rituals, physical ways of worship could not make their conscience clear. And this was imposed on them until the time of reformation or fulfillment. And when Yahshua died on that cross, he died on that cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15 chapter, verses 1 through 4. And that he died, that he died, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that was nailed to the cross. It had no parts in this new covenant. It did not come over into that heart that's painted on the right hand side of the cross. And it says over the top of it, New Testament 
is written in your heart and mind. This is a new covenant. This has no physical works. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do with your hands. There's nothing you can do at all. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. I believe that's in Colossians, the second chapter. If you could grab it for me quick. Colossians 2 and 14. 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Now he blotted out that handwriting. He blotted it out. Blotted it out. Right. Read. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. It was contrary to us. And look, mm -hmm. it wasn't given to us in the first place. It was mm -hmm. given to Jews and Jews only. But we're brought into the picture seven years later with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. Read. And took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He nailed it to the cross. These things are illuminated on these charts for you so that you are learning visually as well as audio, audiologically. Read, please. And having spoiled principalities and powers. That's good. That's good, Sharon. Okay. Because I got to move along. Now, I would like to go to Hebrews, first chapter, and just read the first verse. Hebrews 1 and 1. Elohim, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Do you want me to keep going? No, oh, I didn't want Hebrews 1. I'm sorry. I wanted Hebrews 11 and 1. I'm sorry. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I would like that word substance looked up for, looked up um, uh, real quickly, please. Assurance and confidence. Assurance, confidence. Substance is confidence. Substance is assurance. Is there more, Carl? Concretely, uh, essence. Essence. It's the essence of things. Read. I have confidence, confident substance, uh, that which has foundation. That which has 
foundation. Listen, substance is not just some kind of vapor floating around in the air. Faith is not some mythological thing or a feeling that you have. It's concrete. It has, it is real. It is the basis underlying everything. Read please in Hebrews 11 and one. It's the substance of things hoped for. And listen, before you go on, we say every week that Yahweh's the source and the substance and the limits and the bounds. Mm -hmm. He's the substance. Mm -hmm. Yahweh is real substance. Yahweh Elohim is real substance. Yahshua is real substance. It's real. They are more real than you and I. They are reality itself. They are what substance is. They are those those attributes that are painted up in that cloud, those divine attributes, mm -hmm. intelligence, wisdom, knowledge, love, beauty, justice, foundation, power, and strength, and many more, those are his substance. Those mm -hmm. are substance. That's the substance we're hoping for. That's the soul we're hoping for. Mm -hmm. That's the inner man we're hoping for. His divine love, his divine beauty. Yes. And when it's said over there in Psalms where he had it read, the law of Yahweh is perfect. The law of Yahweh is Yahshua. Converting the soul. Mm -hmm. He's converting our old nature to that nature you're looking at in that cloud right there. That's the promise of the new covenant. That's the beauty of it. That's one of the beauties of it. Now keep reading in Hebrews. This time just, just evaporating here. Read, please. A faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. The evidence, the proof. And those scientists worked with proof. They worked with facts. And they, what their enemy was or their medium was in exposing that virus was the light. And Yahshua's been the light yes. all down through the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. Read for me very quickly Isaiah 8 and 20. 
Isaiah. Hmm? Hang on. Isaiah I 8 and 20. <laughs> Isaiah 8 and 20. To the law and to the testimony. To the law. The first five books of Moses. And to the testimony. The next 34 books. From Joshua to Malachi. To the law and to the testimony. Read. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. If they, who's they? Anybody. Anybody who speaks not according to the law and the prophets, mm -hmm. they have no light in them. Mm -hmm. They cannot expose a virus. They are the virus. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to jump over to, well, I'm going to, I have to go to the scripture reading because there's a reason these things are read. And so we'll go to the scripture reading. Hmm? Um, uh, read the first verse and then go down to, I think, four. Ephesians 2 and 1, and you have he quickened who were dead. And you, and you, you, mm -hmm. all of you listening out there, hath he quickened, mm -hmm. hath he made alive. He made us alive. We came into class with a dead soul. And our soul has to be made alive. Mm -hmm. Adam's soul died when he left that garden. And it's, that's where the man's soul died. And that's where the man's soul has to be made alive again. Mm -hmm. In his soul. That soul that Andy was banging on. Now, oh, go to four. fourth verse, yes. But Elohim, who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Even when we were dead in our sins, he loved us. Read. Hath made us. Sorry, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with the Messiah. By grace, ye are saved. Now he has made us alive. Is that what it said, Deb? Yes. Second. By, it said, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Yahshua, by grace, by grace are you are saved. saved. Mm -hmm. Now, why did I go through that? Because it's Yahshua who made us alive. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it said faith was the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. Mm -hmm. Faith in Yahshua 
are one and the same thing. Right. I'm realizing it more and more and more as time goes on. Faith and Yahshua are the same. Read, please. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in the Messiah Yahshua. In the Messiah Yahshua. By, and it said, by grace we are saved, didn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. By grace. Listen, if it's by grace, then it's not by any works. <laughs> he blotted the works to out. He nailed them to his cross. Don't drag them over here. Mm -hmm. Don't think there's anything you can do to be saved or to help your soul. There's nothing you can do. There's just nothing you can do. Um, hold this right here for one minute. I want to go over to John 6, 28 and 29. And 6, 28. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of, Yah of Elohim? Now they're asking Yahshua, what might we do that we might work the works of Yahweh Elohim? Mm -hmm. They're asking him a question. Yahshua, read. Yahshua answered and said unto them, this is the work of Elohim that you believe on him who he has sent. Now, this I heard from, for the first time, believe it or not, from Dr. Welsh years ago in, in Chicago. And I thought this was just a mind blower. It's Yahweh Elohim's work. Right. It seems like it's a work you have to do, that you have to believe in him. It's not your work. It's right. Yahweh Elohim's work. Right. He's causing you to believe. He's causing you to understand. Mm -hmm. He's causing you to see. He's converting your soul. He's causing you to walk in his statutes. He's doing the whole ball game. Right. And there isn't anything that they're doing in this covenant. There are no works in this covenant. Besides preaching the gospel of Yahshua the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And that's not a work, folks. That's right. something that you're happy and glad to do. Right. Now go back to the second chapter of Ephesians, please. Verse seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through the Messiah, Yahshua. For by grace are you saved. For by faith. grace, for by grace. He can't be any more plain than this. <laughs> For by grace are you saved. Read. Through faith 
And that, not of yourselves, it is for a gift of Elohim. But for by grace you are saved through faith, or I could say through Yahshua. Right, not of yourself. And that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of Yahweh, Elohim. It is, it is the gift of Yahweh. It is the gift of Yahshua. It's his gift he's given you. And Bobby Skowski always used to say, you got a problem with grace? Uh, read, read nine. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works, folks, because we'd start boasting. Oh, I went to class four times this week. How many times did you go? You understand? Start setting up righteous standards and doing all this and that. Listen, it's he he causes you to come to a class or he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He brings you in or he doesn't bring you in. Mm-hmm. He makes you alive or he doesn't make you alive. <laughs> now go, go to Galatians 3 and, and 1. Galatians 3 and 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now this is Paul. He's talking to the folks in Galatia, which was a region, okay, in Anatolia, which is today modern-day Turkey. And uh, there was, was a bunch of different classes there. And he's saying, he's calling them fools. <laughs> Foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? That's a pretty strong word, bewitched. <laughs> if you remember correctly, back under the law, Witchcraft was punishable by death. Read, please. <laughs> that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Joshua the Messiah had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. By whose Joshua, I... Joshua was evidently set forth, or in other words, The truth had been taught to them. Paul had labored to teach to them out of the law and the prophets and in the name of Yahshua the Messiah. Mm -hmm. This only what I learn of you received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Now, how did you receive the spirit? Mm -hmm. Through faith? or by the works of the law? Mm -hmm. He's asking them the question. Mm -hmm. You can't have it both ways. It's one or it's the other. Through faith or by the works of the law. Through Yahshua or by the works of the law. Read, please. 
Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Mm -hmm. Now look, jump over to the fourth chapter. Okay. And read 8 through 11. Verse 8, 4 and 11. 4 and 8. How be it then, when you knew not Yahweh, you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that you have known Yahweh, or now rather... After, are, now, after you have known Yahweh, read. Or rather are known of Yahweh, have turned ye again to the weak and beggarly elements. Now you turn your back on them. Now you're going to turn your, you turn to the weak and beggarly elements. Mm -hmm. Or the law of Moses, or physical things, or thinking that there's something you can do to earn the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Read, please. Whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He thought Paul saying, look, did I bestow all this labor in vain for nothing? He preached his heart out. He, he preached out of love. He preached as hard as he could preach day and night for weeks and months. And they turned back to something else, to their old way of thinking. It was happening all the time at the beginning of this age. We shouldn't be surprised if it's happening now down here at the end of the stage. Read, please. Uh, brethren, I beseech you, but as I am, for I am as you are, you have not injured me at all. What verse are you in? Um, in 12. Oh, that's okay. Go to the fifth chapter and read one through seven. Galatians 5 and 1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Yahshua hath made us free. Hey, and who made us free? Yahshua. Yahshua, or faith. Mm -hmm. Stand fast in that liberty. It's liberty. It's liberty. Mm hmm And be not entang entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Hold on. Hold that verse right there. I want you to go to uh, Romans 8, where Andy was. And uh, I, I, I just want to get the one verse where it talks about the carnal mind is an enmity with Yahweh. Romans 8. And six, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be, for to be carnally minded is death. 
Mm-hmm. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Spiritually minded is when you have the Holy Spirit in you, that's life and peace. Mm-hmm. Read. Because the carnal mind is enmity against Elohim, for it can not for it is not subject to the law of El, neither indeed can be. Yeah, it can't be subject to the laws. Listen, a carnal mind is an enmity with Yahweh. It's an enmity with Yahshua. So when you come into class with a carnal mind, and we all did, we all came into class with a carnal mind. There's no way you sit there on that chair and believe. You can't believe until you have the Holy Spirit in you. And it's the Holy Spirit that causes you to believe. It's the Holy Spirit that helps you believe. Now you're reading it right in the book there. A carnal mind is at enmity with Yahweh. And that's why your mind or your soul has to be changed. It has to be converted. It has to be raised to a higher level of thinking. And oh, there's so much to this. I I just, I enjoyed the speakers. I hope that you were edified by them. I hope that something I said was edifying for you. There was so much more, but our time is, our time is at an end. And uh, all praise belongs to Yahshua the Messiah. Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Trevison. We'd like to thank everybody who participated in our Zoom class today. We'd also like to thank those who have viewed us on YouTube. We hold our Zoom class here every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. At this time, I'd like to ask the class that stay muted until the live stream has ended. We'll now be dismissed by the doxology, which is taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let us all say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.